Welcome back to Refocused with Lindsay Gensel. What you're listening to today, it's a little bit different than the podcast episodes we've shared with you before. This episode, this person's story, is a part of Refocused Together, a special series the team at ADHD Online and I have been working on for ADHD Awareness Month. Every day throughout the month of October, we'll be sharing a different person's ADHD story which is fitting because the theme for ADHD Awareness Month this year is understanding a shared experience. And I can't think of a better way to really get a sense of that shared experience than by telling a different story every single day. And to be clear, yes, that's 31 stories in 31 days. My name is Lindsay Gensel, and along with the team at ADHD Online, I'm so excited to present Refocus Together, a collection of stories aimed at raising awareness on just how complex ADHD is and the different ways it shows up in people's lives. When we share stories, it's easier to find the perspective, ideas, and tips that help us live our best lives. I'm interviewing people with varying backgrounds, diagnoses, experiences, and perspectives. We'll hear from working parents, advocates, engineers, writers, PhD candidates, and more to learn that while we may be different, we are all united by our own ADHD journeys. This special project is very near and dear to my heart, and although talking to 31 different people has been a lot of talking, I am so grateful for each person who shared their story with me, and I cannot wait for you to meet my guests and get to know them. Be sure to subscribe to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel so that you don't miss a single story this month. And with that, let's get on to today's episode. Kathy Murphy always relied on tools to help her get through the day. Calendars, reminders, alerts, a system of physical sticky notes, plus well-timed moments of hyper-focus. Returning to the office after working from home during the pandemic was the catalyst for her to get help. The open concept office space with glass walls was distracting and offered very little privacy for the system that kept her wheels turning. And it was hard to adjust to the commotion around her. Interruptions from film crews moving in and out and an active call screen display prevented the technical writer and instructional designer from doing any concentrated work. Like many others with ADHD, Kathy found herself in a challenging and unpleasant situation that she wasn't sure how to navigate because it was her job. But then she was able to connect with her doctor and was diagnosed with ADHD when she was 58. ADHD was something that seemed to run in her family. And when hyperactivity wasn't present, everyone just muddled through it together. But Kathy's diagnosis opened up a new world of help and resources that she never thought existed for the struggles, behaviors, and habits thought to be the norm for her. I am so excited to welcome Kathy Murphy to Refocus Together. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us for Refocus Together. I'm very excited to learn more about your story, and I just really appreciate your willingness to come on and share it with us. Absolutely. I'm very happy to be here with you. 
I've asked all of our guests to kind of start at the beginning because telling 31 stories over 31 days, the whole point was to find as many different stories as possible, to make this lineup of guests as diverse as possible. And that's just not only considering who they are as people, but their diagnosis stories as well. So if you wouldn't mind starting at the beginning of your own ADHD diagnosis story. For many years in school, I can remember not bringing all the paperwork home. It was always hard pressed to get that all the way to where it belonged. And so my mother would refer to me oftentimes after school as the absent-minded professor because she'd have to follow up on everything. Over the years, people will come to my home and remark about how many projects I have going. Oh, look at that. You're working on that. Or sadly, sometimes it's, oh, you've been working on that a long time. (laughs) And so I know I've always thought I was busy, but over time you start to read and you trigger. And I taught school for a number of years. And so I saw kids come through. But what truly triggered it for me was COVID. We had gone home from one office in the headquarters building. And so I worked at home almost a year and then went back to a new office situation, open concept, all glass. I was near the elevator. There was literally over my head, a board just off to the left. And I would have numbers flashing on it for the IT support people. And that was bad. But then one day they decided to film a commercial and I knew I wasn't going to make it. It was just right out there, right beside my desk, glass area, lights and cameras and oh, lots of people. And so I said, okay, all these things I've heard over the years, I really think this is it. So I ended up looking at ADHD online at that point and it was tremendous. I was so excited to be diagnosed because I knew always that it was different But, you know, I kind of said, oh, it's creativity or I'm busy or, you know, whatever. I'd have students say, you have the same energy level seventh period as you do first. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm." many things triggered that event. But I was actually 57 by the time I made it to that point. What do you remember from taking the actual assessment and some of the questions that you were asked and kind of some of the feelings that they maybe elicited from you? Honestly, I was seeing things that so applied to me and made so much sense in the questioning. And sometimes we like to assume that everybody's doing the same thing we are. Like everybody's mind works the same way. And we'd all answer those questions pretty much the same. And it wasn't true at all. I'm definitely on that range and should have realized, but did not. It was really neat to see that those questions were there and how much they applied. Since getting your diagnosis, what has changed in your life? Well, I have added some structures that I didn't before. I would let myself find a project that I like to do after work, whatever it would be. And I would at three o'clock in the morning go, oh, (laughs) I've been doing this for how long? Right. So that was one thing, structuring a little bit more. And then with my work itself, learning to do the things that I really don't like right away. Oftentimes, instead of logging what I did the day before, the night after work, I'll do it first thing in the morning because that is the most tedious thing and get all my spreadsheets together and I can feel good about that, but I have to do it first. The other thing I find is I'm better able to track. I still have those periods where it's something I really like and I don't let go and I look up and it's, you know, seven o'clock and not five o'clock when I should have left. But generally speaking, I kind of have it more in check and that feels really good. 
one of the things that I found is in meeting with my doctor to begin with, I had been on the medication for a time and it was working and it was amazing. And what I told him was my brain was like a student's planning web, probably for a novel, but at any rate, it was a planning web, but it wasn't a web that went sequentially places. It was a web that went everywhere. And I literally told my brother after having been on the medication that it was like all of a sudden, not only were my thoughts linear, but my brain was quiet. And the doctor in both of those instances really related. And he also suffered from ADHD and so, or ADD as we are now. And so he was able to really relate to that and told me that I was right on. It wasn't like I had imagined this or anything. It really was working. So it was great. Really great. You mentioned as a teacher that there were things that you noticed in similarities to maybe some of the students that came through, or there were observations that had been made through life. Your mom calling you the absent minded professor. I also could never remember to bring anything <laughs> signed amongst a lot of things. Yes, it is hard. And, you know, we can look back and go, we weren't set up to have that be something that we were going to be good at without added structure. So when you look back now after your diagnosis and kind of the answers that you've been given to maybe questions that you weren't asking at the time, what do you notice about your life before your diagnosis where some of those things maybe stand out a little bit? In my earlier years, I taught kindergarten and it was perfect for me. We were a small charter school, so I never had more than 12 to 15 students. So it was a small very structured area, but unlike most teachers who would probably look down at a watch or their cell phone or whatever it would be, I had clocks everywhere. I had one like on every wall, and that way I could keep myself on task and make sure that we ran our routines. So that would be one thing that's very, very different. Pens and pencils. Oh my word. Those are the most difficult things to stay up with, and teaching is great for that because there's always someone who knows where your marker is. I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's over there. Now, when you teach high school, it's a little bit different because sometimes they don't want to tell you where your marker is, even if they know. That kind of stuff, just trying to track those little devices, I know is a difference. And I know that's at least one profession where there are people to help you find those things once you've left them somewhere. I'm curious on the creative side of things. You mentioned mm -hmm. that you love art and it's something that a lot of the people that I've interviewed for this project have kind of creative outlets. And so what is it about that that really excites you? It is definitely one of those things that before medication, I would literally just go on a tangent and I would be doing 15 different projects and you know, work until the middle of the night, even though when I would know that I had other things to do in the morning, you know, I had to go to bed and it was like just driven. And so it's definitely an outlet, but it gives me peace. It's something that there's just a focus in it that's soothing and guiding. And I don't really know, you know, how to describe it any other way than that. It just, it's a relaxing, mentally, just really healing kind of a process, I think especially before diagnosis, because it's something where your thoughts are focused on something so minuscule that you stay there for a bit <laughs> and then move to the next. So I think it orders your thoughts, perhaps, when you're painting. 
or drawing. I'm wondering, you mentioned kayaking, and I bet there's probably some of that soothingness that comes from that as well. And the reason I ask is you're away from everything. Like you have to be in your thoughts. You can't escape them. You can't jump from task to task because you're in a kayak on water. And unless you're bringing stuff with you to do in the kayak, I imagine you're kind of (laughs) focused on the task at hand. Right. You are. And the water is just so beautiful and relaxing as it is, you know, but that movement and just the amount of exercise that it is, because it's really kind of grueling and can go for several hours and feel like you need to rest after. So it was something that gave me sleep, just being that physically tired in the beginning, soothing both when you're there and after a chance to really rest One thing that I've talked about with a lot of people, because most of the people that I've interviewed for this project were diagnosed at some point later in life. And I say later in life, meaning that it didn't happen when they were kids. And what comes across from just the few minutes that we've been talking is this joyful acceptance and almost like acknowledgement that you knew it was there all along, but there doesn't feel like a lot of sadness or grief. The way you describe your diagnosis is very positive. And so I'm curious, in the moments when you found out that this was something that has been there all along and that you can connect back to certain moments in life, what were some of those feelings like? You know, How have you processed that? I think that it was such a sense of relief to know, especially once there was treatment, that this could be better, that I was in control of my time. And not always. I mean, there are still times when things get a little iffy, but I'm much more readily able to plan and to control my focus in the time that I need to. And sure, I've implemented strategies, but there is such a peace, especially with work. There's always such a worry that you're going to miss some piece. And then what's going to happen? And I don't really have those kinds of thoughts anymore. I'm more of a, okay, I got that done. Check it off the list. And it's changed a lot. It really has. It's the biggest blessing I think I've stumbled on in a long, long while. And to know that, you know, some of the ways that I do things that seem so unusual are not. They're just the way that we do it. And sometimes we need a little support to manage. I truly do. I feel great joy over all of it. And I wish if I could say anything to anyone, it's, please, if you're struggling in any way, shape, or form, test and at least know what it is. Even if you don't want to medicate or you don't want to do whatever strategy, find out because it will give you a sense of peace just to know that there is something that you're not just floundering because, but there's something. And it can be better if you choose to make it so. One of the phrases that I've heard people repeat over and over through this process of doing all these interviews is kind of the, it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation. And so going off of what you mentioned, just having those answers doesn't mean you have to change your life. It doesn't mean you have to change anything. You don't have to start medication, but just knowing and the power that comes from that, I think is incredibly wonderful especially for a lot of us who have felt different. It really is a sense of understanding yourself that there's nothing better. Sometimes you get really frustrated because you're trying your best and you're doing all these things and you still miss something and how that happened and it doesn't happen to the other guys and whatever. But at least knowing why you're missing that step and 
the blessings of the brain that you have and the way it works differently, the understanding that you have of things. I mean, there's just so much good in it. If I had known as a teacher, it would have been just a very relatable. Definitely get out there early. And if you're feeling, you know, that you or your child might have a difference of some sort, do test and just find out. I think it's also so important for parents who maybe see some of these signs in their own children to test for the ability to be able to change some of the things. You know, you mentioned like not being able to bring signed parent permission slips or whatever it was to school and your mom having to kind of focus in on you and and really make sure that that stuff was getting done. And I think sometimes we don't see how we can be better supporting those around us. And I think one of the things you mentioned, the addition into your life of structure. And so I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about that and, and how you view it and maybe even some of the things that you're actively doing now that you hadn't before. For me, it's more time management and getting those tasks that I don't like done first and not last. What I had done for myself throughout the years is just become highly organized when it came to work. Home, not so much, but work, definitely. So I have always sticky labeled, spreadsheeted, depending on what era we were in, you know, really elaborate spreadsheets. But at any rate, keeping things organized is critical. And for years in my early work career, I would have people say, you are so organized. And I would think, you know, not by nature. (laughs) This is forced, every bit of it forced. Another thing that I would do is I would observe the people who are most successful and how they organize themselves and then steal that because up here alone, I couldn't do that. That was not going to happen. Always having that notation, always having that reminder, calendaring things. And of course, the calendars, you know, now with Outlook, we have digital reminders that ping at us and all kinds of things. So as long as you can get yourself to do it in the beginning, you can just control it so much better with that structure. I love you were kind of ahead of the game on body doubling. You know, you say, I saw people around me who were successful, who you probably respected, and you saw what they were doing and you just kind of took that and and made it your own. And that is in a sense what we now kind of call body doubling, which is what a lot of us, a lot of women specifically, that's how we got through most of life is just following the people around us who had executive functions mm-hmm. properly, you know, or working <laughs> properly. We clung on to that. And that is definitely a tool. Look for those who are doing well and emulate. I'm curious if you have been open about your diagnosis with people in your life and what some of those reactions were like. I got a lot of, oh, really? <laughs> As if I didn't already know that. My family, we have sort of a progression, (laughs) generation to generation, where my father was a young boy sitting in school, didn't speak English when he first started. So he was seven when he started school, didn't speak English, and he would be out of his seat and gone just as fast as a lightning bolt. He could not physically sit still and do what they were asking him to do. And he didn't understand and so he was like, mm, no. So there were nuns perpetually chasing him down the hall. And he was often at a fishing hole that he had. And it was a struggle for him. It was tough because there was no diagnosis. There was no anything to support. And even those ESL things that would have helped him along the way were not there. 
So he felt like he struggled a lot with school. And in reality, he probably wouldn't have had he had the supports and the knowledge that we have today. But that's where it started. So my family, they're not surprised at all. They're like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, the kids did that. (laughs) Whatever. And friends that know me well and have been to my home and seen all the things that I keep doing at once, they're like, hmm, she never finishes anything. I'm 100% sure. So I don't talk about it a lot at work, but the people I'm closest to do know and not really reluctant to discuss it with friends or if I was teaching, I'd be more than willing to discuss it with a student. It's it's a different world. I'm curious what you've learned that has been kind of the most eye-opening for you following your diagnosis or anything that stands Mm -hmm. out that you didn't know was connected to ADHD and now you do. And it's, you know, very interesting. There are two things that I kind of knew. Well, exhaustion with students, when students are very tired, they tend to not do as well. And how much that was impacting me, that was interesting to figure that out. But more so stress. Stress is just one of those things where you're coping with a lot to start with. You're dealing with a lot. It's taking a lot of energy. And stress is just overwhelming, greatly interferes with the focus and being able to task well. I'm rather stress avoidant. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense or not, but anytime that I can avoid something that I know is going to be uncomfortable in terms of escalating stress and it's not necessary, I don't do it. I just decline. So yeah, coming to do an interview, I said, well, it's worth it. I want people to know how important and how life-changing this has been. I've got to do this. Normally, something that would cause me a little stress or a little I might say no. (laughs) Well, I'm very glad you're here, but I also want to applaud boundaries because it's very important to have them and to set them and to know why you have them. And I think that that's a great one to have. Setting boundaries is so important in every part of your life. We really need to get to know ourselves and know what's an important boundary and then stand fast to those. And we can say no. I'd like to talk a little bit about medication, if that's okay, because you know you mentioned you can get your diagnosis and not have to go on medication, but you chose to start a medication treatment plan and have been, sounds like, very happy with the results. So what were some of the things that you have experienced from that process? The greatest thing for me was how it slowed things down. Again, like with the web and the thoughts and the popping here and popping there and, oh yeah, I got to do this and that. It's really given me more of an opportunity to strategize, to slow down, to take my thoughts one at a time. I've started journaling more, which, you know, I should have been journaling all along more, but I couldn't. It just wasn't there. And the time management helps because it feels like I've been returned hours and hours and hours in my day with the medication. So I know that there are side effects. I know there are concerns. And sometimes I feel like when I go to pick it up, I'm being interrogated. What is she doing? But every bit of it is worth it to be able to have the quality of life I do. I would not hesitate if that's what your doctor recommends. Just do. You'll be so grateful and so happy about it. In the end. I'm really glad you mentioned kind of some of the stigmas and the preconceived notions that come with it because 
I dealt with that and I've had people reach out to me who have been afraid to ask about it because of some of the things that are tied to it. And I feel the exact same way. It was so life-changing for me that I would go through all of it every single time, you know, line up every pharmacist who wants to, you know, give me a, a side eye when I pick it up. I'll take it all <laughs> because it has been such a positive change. I have been given so much of my life back that I didn't know I was even missing. And so it's great. I want to know where you see yourself thriving. I kind of don't know if prior to your diagnosis, you felt like there was a lot of things wrong. You're very positive about all of it. And I know you mentioned, you know, getting time back and then having a clearer mind. And so when you look at life post-diagnosis and all the things you know now, what stands out for you? The sense of peace that I have, cannot say enough what it is to have that time back, to have the peace, to know that this is what's been different about me always. And that's why I would say to anyone, please don't wait. Don't be 57 and decide that there's finally a problem. It was a problem before. <laughs> You've struggled some struggles. Memory, because you're focused in so many places. Memory, that kind of thing. I just feel like there's so much that I've gained and that I would hate to see people miss out on being able to have a little more control in their life and to have a comfort level. So there's a lot of stress in juggling so many things at once. And, you know, when your thoughts are everywhere, you're not as productive as you'd be otherwise. I think there are things that probably career-wise people do totally struggle with. And I know from my days with the glass building, glass walls, glass elevator, glass everything, that I would not have made it through that setting as it was to be able to write and focus. And I'm very, very happy that I stumbled across the company that I did. To be able to do this all online has been fabulous. And to have the supports and, and the health checks and things that go with it, amazing. Just convenient and fabulous. And the hardest part is the side eye at the pharmacy. Well, I'm so glad that you've had a wonderful experience. I think that that is just such an added bonus for all the things that people go through when they're getting diagnosed and going through the process of starting a treatment plan and all the things that can come with that. I knock on wood every single time when I talk about my experience with medication because I've had a great one and I know that's not always the case. And so I'm kind of just waiting for it all, all to fall apart. But in the moment I'm like, okay, I can accept the fact that this is good. As a parent, you go through that same thing. Every time there's a medication prescribed, it's like, should they really have it? Should, no, no. But this is a definite good thing for me. I want to ask when you look to the future, what excites you? What are you hopeful about? And I'm curious if what you're hopeful about now is different than what you were hopeful about before your diagnosis. For years, I had talked to students about, I'm going to write a book about this, or I'm going to write a book about these behaviors, or I'm going to, whatever. And I had never begun. You know, I had a short story here and there that I floated, but I really hadn't begun to seriously work on a big project for myself to sell. And since that point, I'm actually working on a novel right now, and I'm really excited about it. I don't know that I could have juggled everything and 
gotten as far as I have. So I'm really happy about that. And I see that as a, a big part of my future. Those interests are steadier. They're not a constant boom, boom, boom. You know, it's not two weeks on this and then I'm a week over here. Then maybe I might do this, but I'm not going to, you know, I'll never get back. It's truly a steady focus on something I want to do that I could not have done before. I love that. And I love, you know, you've mentioned the idea, like, don't wait. If you're thinking about this, don't wait because the answers can be so powerful. But what I also hope you take away from this, and I truly mean it. So the one thing that I have struggled with is that I thought I'd be who I wanted to be career-wise in my 20s. And then I turned 30 and then I turned 35 and it was like, uh, where is it? You know, I've been working so hard. But I love hearing from you. You were diagnosed in your 50s and you are so excited about the future. And I think that that is just such a wonderful message to put out there for people who have ADHD or don't have ADHD, that these timelines that we were told as children were the timelines we were supposed to live by are arbitrary and they don't match for every single person. And here you are with this new excitement in life that you wouldn't have probably been able to accomplish before your diagnosis. And you get to take that energy and excitement. That to me is just such a powerful message that every day of our life is really a gift and we get to seek out things that excite us. And it shouldn't matter what age, you know? You know, the moment is yours right now. And if you don't seize it, that moment's gone. But always, you know, stay in the moment, but know they're good things no matter what. You're going to find them as long as you keep the energy. And, you know, we're really gifted with the intellect that we have to just really pursue so much lifelong learning and develop ourselves. I can't say I'm thrilled about aging, but, you know, I don't want to stop either. So... Yeah, we aren't given a lot of options. It's either age or don't age. There's not a good in-between that anyone wants to look into. I'm curious, when you look at ADHD and the general knowledge of the disorder, what is something you wish people understood better? That when we're not paying attention, we are doing some great things. And it sounds silly, but what I relate it back to is the days when I was an at-home mom, I had children in playgroup, and I was one of probably eight moms at the most, but there were all these constant conversations and babies going around, and, but the amount of talking was just overwhelming. And we'd leave one group meeting and everyone would exit that home where we were ha having our get together and they would all know what they were supposed to do for the next one. And there was one person who didn't. And I think if we knew these things about each other, we'd have that individual who was so steady and had all those details. They'd be writing it down for us. They would understand how we think so differently and all the million things that were happening around us. We were still doing a million more in our brain, and we didn't really have time to glean that information from what was around us. It just wasn't going to happen. If more people understood the way that we think and could put more emphasis on the important things, maybe help us in the spots that we need it, because we're definitely capable of accomplishing so much once it's channeled, 
a little bit because we are always so full of thoughts. We find our niches and things, but we're always so full of thoughts and ideas. Just a little support. Well, Kathy, this was such a pleasure. I am going to take your optimism and your joyfulness and kind of digest a little bit of it and remind myself, yes, you know, on those days when the grief is is a lot and the, you know, the rumination sets in on all the things that I can't go back and change, but wish I could, I'm going to be very grateful for all of the time that I have ahead. So thank you for that lovely reminder. Thank you. It has been such a pleasure to meet you. I'm so grateful to Kathy Murphy for her candor and thoughtfulness, as well as her optimism, and for sharing it all with us here on Refocus Together. There are so many people to thank for making Refocus Together happen. The entire team at ADHD Online, Zach Booker, Dr. Randall Dutler, Tim Gutwald, Keith Brophy, my teammates Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruett, Claudia Gotti, Melanie Mile, Paul Owen, Kirsten Pip, Sissy Yee, Trisha Merchandani, Lauren Radley, Corey Kearney and Mason Nelly and the team at Dexia, Hector and Kenneth and the team at Snack Media, Cameron Sterling and Candace Lefke, Camilla Eden, Lauren Terry, Sarah Galbard, Phil Rodeman, Jake Beaver, and Sarah Platinitis. Our theme music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based in Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. To find out more about Refocus Together or to share your story with me, head over to ADHDonline.com and check out the ADHD Awareness Month page, which highlights this project as well as each day's episode after they've been released. You can also find out more by following along on social at Lindsay Gensel and at Refocus Pod.